You're listening to the Grossed Out Podcast with Rob Gross. It's me. I'm Rob Gross. Welcome to another episode of the Grossed Out Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Gross. Today, I'm joined by a dear friend of mine, Ryan Cottle. We're going to be talking about... Smashing Pumpkins. Smiling politely. I've wanted to do that forever. I want to get guests to say it, but yes, it's my dorky Simpson referencing uh, coming out of me. Anyway, that's what I, that was yeah, life goal achieved. Amazing. Um, I can help. Yeah, dude. Appreciate it. Um, Ryan is um, the front man songwriter. Um, I don't even know what to call him, but he is the man has this band <laughs> sound and shape out of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, just it's like this perfect balance of if you're into bands like dredge but also like the spacier sides of caven there's elements of prog there's elements of you know straight ahead riff driven rock like early king's x era it's just a great band and i'm just so stoked to be able to talk to you about about yeah of course but i'm so talk to you about the pumpkins i mean about most things but about this specifically (laughs) because i think that um you you come at this similar to how you are with oasis from like your you mean your head you're 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 a fan of this band like deep into the b-sides deep into the catalog you like there's opinions on new stuff old stuff in between (laughs) solo zwan all that so i'm excited to have you on the show man welcome no thank you i'm excited to be here man hell yeah um well i think it's always interesting to um especially for guests that know each other um which so far has been pretty much everybody i think that's gonna change soon (laughs) but but i think for us it was interesting because we met on a mutual friend's facebook wall um because i think one of us had mentioned dredge and we were like holy shit someone else knows who this band is which is like in my i mean that was you know a band that i obsessed over when i was when i was younger still do but it was Mm -hmm. one of the bands that i was lucky enough to work uh college radio at at universal interscope and um yeah if you like that band there's something definitely a little off about you and uh, i was like (laughs) all right we should become friends and now that's that's how it started yeah yeah absolutely that's uh that record catch without arms like it was our old drummer jerry kind of drove me insane with it we because you know we had like four cds in the van back then right right and that was one of them and he would put it on on like the late night drives and so like it it's great for that but i would also like wake up in this like haze and i would just hear i would feel like i would just hear the same song over and over again but i I still still love that record and it's still on right i mean well that that they are that's a band i think that's built for uh, for the late night drive but again um yeah yeah, it's a long record it's an hour long so i'd imagine listening to that over and over and over again and i think we had like uh hollow notes greatest hits and solid i feel like a sam cook album that's a greatest hits as well that's a good mix yeah and then we uh we had a couple of mixtapes and like that was it yeah that was it i mean a long time i I think you know there's obviously that side of the the um the industry where it's like streaming has killed this and there's always something that has killed that right there's always whatever whatever this is was the thing that was killed by the thing before it and now it's it's the norm and (laughs) now it's obviously streaming or then now it's probably tiktok but it's still streaming and it's like but streaming has saved probably so many band interrelationships Oh, by yeah. like you don't have the one tape stuck in the tape deck of the econoline anymore now right. you have spotify now you have exactly. apple music now you got title exactly. so like there's there's something there's something for everybody now it's like you want that late night drive where all you listen to is james taylor yep. you do you 
Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it, they, uh, I think it was, it was either right before, it was either right before the, um, Sparta tour we did, or it was mm-hmm. right before the first batch of Kings X dates we did. Uh, but Spotify, or uh, I use Apple music, but Apple music finally mm-hmm. put the land lies down on Broadway up. And uh. I was like, you guys realize we're going to listen to this. Like, <laughs> You're fucking toast every other day, Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Hell yeah. That's it awesome. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's like oh, we, that's a whole other episode, man. I could talk about <laughs> yeah. you and I could talk about Peter Gabriel for hours. Oh, dude, yeah, for hours. Um, and look, it, it, it's a good segue, right? Because I think I didn't realize how into Prague and specifically Rush, but how into it and how influ- influenced he was by it, about how Billy Corgan was until I watched the Rush documentary, and oh, all yeah. of a sudden it's like a very oddly bearded Billy Corgan. <laughs> Corgan, um, yeah. but but just sitting there like gushing about you know rush and if you're yeah. if you're even if you even dip your toe in the pool of Prague, you can't not like worship rush. i mean rush is like it's the bible yeah. so i mean there, there are bands yeah. that came before them there's obviously bands after them but rush are the ones they're, they're the bear yeah and um yeah it was just cool to hear that so how did how did your fandom start like when did it start how did it come about how did you find out about the pumpkins so um i was just a little too young when Siamese Dream hit. Okay. Um, I would have been 11 when that came out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was definitely aware of it. But I was at, at that point in my life, the Beatles were the be all, you know, and all be all for me. I, I mean, in a lot of ways, they still are. But uh, yeah, of course, I was fully ensconced in Beatledom um, up until I was about. I'd say just before Melancholy came out, I was, I sort of kind of started having an awakening to like actual current music. Um, right. Like, so you'd have been thought, like, like 14. Yeah. I was, I was 13 when, 13, when Melancholy yeah. came out. And the first like current album I bought was the first Weezer record. And that sort of, that turned me on to like, you know, Green Day. Um, yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. And uh, I remember seeing, you know, uh, the Today video a lot. And I was like, oh, this song is really cool, you know. And, like, I, I liked them. Like, I would have considered myself a fan at that point. Um, enough to where I remember, uh, do you remember MTV used to do the making the video thing? Where of they course. Would show the making of and then premiere yeah. the video. I watched uh, yep. the one on Bullet with Butterfly Wings. And mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. I, I mean, to this day, like I love Siamese Dream. You know, I, I went back and and I know every single second of that record, and I worship it, you know, as well. But like, um, the just the angle that he and slash they came at melancholy, like, you know, I was a moody ass kid. I'm a moody ass adult. <laughs> um, but it just like the the darkness, the heaviness, like the um just coming at it from a completely different angle. I mean, I know, you know, the nineties are supposed to be this like angsty time, but like, I think, you know, kids, uh, especially around that age kind of have a built in bullshit detector, whether they know it or not. Oh yeah. And like, you know, Billy was obviously like a generation ahead of all of us, but like, it was real. Like, you know, I just, I got honesty from that and you know, that kind of, I don't want to say it ruined me for a lot of other bands, but like to this day, like <laughs> if I, if I get a whiff of insincerity from a band, like I can't like them, you know, like, no, I, I there, that's a, that's such a great point. Cause there's something about that era. I, there's something about it that it stripped away all the bullshit. And mm-hmm. 
I didn't realize it because I'm two years older than you. So I was right. old enough for Siamese Dream, but I wasn't old enough for Gish and for Lull. Right. And I'd see them in the stores and I'm like, the fuck is this? Because it was signed to Caroline. And like at that time, right. like Hole was on Caroline. White Zombie was on Caroline, like their indie stuff. And I was like, all right, like this looks kind of cool. But mm-hmm. it, it just, it was a little like, it looked a little too like, I don't know. I, I don't want to say hippie, whatever for me, but it was a little yeah, too yeah. colorful for me. Cause I, yeah, right. I was a moody kid. And I am a moody adult as well, <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, there was something about that music that it did. It just stripped away all the shit and all the nonsense. And I yep. think that that gets understated sometimes. Cause they're like, look, Nirvana changed everything. Sure. Of course. Mm-hmm. What? I, yeah. That's, it's undeniable that in the mainstream, that's what literally overnight, it's what it felt like it really happened like it it was it was glam and glitz and fake this and fake that into dudes or women just playing their instruments walk you know getting to the Mm -hmm. show and wearing on stage what you wore to the venue and it wasn't the pumpkins were a huge part of that huge and it's you know the impact that nirvana had on the pumpkins is is interesting because you know and I, i mean i've watched a zillion interviews with billy and like every you know, documentary that I can find, but you know, uh, Gish came out, I guess in March of 91, I think. Mm -hmm. And they were doing well, like it was doing pretty well. I think it sold, you know, a couple hundred thousand or something like that, which on an indie, which which was good. Yeah. Even at that Um, time was really good. And then Nirvana and then Nevermind came out in, uh, September, I think. Mm -hmm. And like it's simultaneous, like everything, you know, exploded, but then simultaneously, like, you know, Billy, like Billy says, he was like, we were really well versed in, in playing these six minute elaborate rock songs with guitar solos and different parts. And then all of a sudden this pop record is the biggest a, thing in the world. Right. Yeah. And one thing I, you know, I admire about him a lot is when uh, initially, so, you know, Nevermind comes out, everything blows up. The pumpkins start doing well. They tour with fucking Pearl Jam and, and the Chili Peppers, which I'm pretty yeah. sure was their first like national tour, which if you think about it is insane. It was. Yeah. Um, for, I think know, for the, for, for Pearl Jam too. Yeah. Yeah. Pearl Jam was first of three on that tour. Like, they were, that's crazy to think about. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the pumpkins, um, Caroline or Virgin was like, okay, now that a rock band is the biggest thing in the world, we want to upstream you. Cause you know, mm-hmm. Virgin owns Caroline. Like right. we want to we want to upstream you still conversion. does yeah <laughs> yeah just what we were talking about but wow like, that's interesting yeah okay yeah. never mind <laughs> um so they wanted to upstream them and they wanted to re-release gish on virgin and give it the whole full you know major label thing and billy said no uh let me go back and do another record and then that mm-hmm. ended up being siamese dream um so to you know to be that young and at that point being able to like kind of stand your ground and be like all right you know i'm glad that you want to do this but we're gonna have to do it my way you know right Um, and it's it's i think there it's understated how how important they were in a lot of circles because there was obviously like mtv buzzworthy buzzbin all the buzz whatever you name it but the pumpkins didn't in a way that i could be wrong here but i don't remember this ever happening in a way that like Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, even Pearl Jam and Nirvana. God, they were the worst guests ever at Headbangers Ball, but they were guests. <laughs> right. The Pumpkins weren't. Right. So they they were almost like put to the side where they were only on Alternative Nation, only on mm-hmm. 120 minutes. They had less avenues and they weren't from Seattle. They had less right. avenues 
to get to hit the same metal kids and hard rock kids. And they were artsier than a lot, you know, like, yeah. So I love Soundgarden. One of my favorite bands. Yeah. I, I like them more than the pumpkins, but mm-hmm. Soundgarden had a heavier edge to them. I mean, the pumpkins got very heavy, but yeah. Soundgarden had this metallic edge to them that it was an easy gateway band. The pumpkins, yeah. they came from an, a more artistic, mm-hmm. you know, like artsy fartsy, you know, I think that's right. a technical term, um, the, <laughs> yeah. that, that world. But you're right. Like, I never thought about that, where Siamese Dream is so fucking focused. I mean, the second half, <laughs> obviously, there's like yeah. with like Silver Fuck and there's like these bigger, yeah. these bigger, like they, they, they spread their wings a little bit on that side of the record. Mm-hmm. Um, but that front half of the record is just the first six songs on that record. <laughs> like, I don't even, it might be the strongest first half of, of a record if yeah. you're looking at it song to song to song to song. Oh yeah. I mean, and, and also like, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, and I think Billy put it this way too. It's like the idealized pumpkins. Like yeah. that was the pumpkins that they wanted to present to the world. It wasn't necessarily the reality of what the pumpkins were. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, you know, to me and I, you know, I, I would fully expect to get something thrown at me if I said this to anybody in person, but like, <laughs> uh i i i don't necessarily put siamese dream on the same level as dark side of the moon because obviously the cultural things are are totally different but in terms of like just a perfect um you know perfectly rounded off record Mm -hmm. like every single second of both those records is there for a reason um and also if you look at like not to parallel them with pink floyd too much but you know the 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 jump in quality in songwriting and just everything between Gish and Siamese dream is like exponential. It's not just yeah. like, Oh, this is huh. our next record. It's like, what the hell? You know what I mean? Right. Like the, the, the seeds, huh. the, the seeds of Siamese dream are, are there in Gish, but it's just like extrapolated to the nth degree. And then if you look at like say metal, uh, yeah to, which, to, pink, to dark side of the moon like well that's great well, well that's it right it's like yeah. dark side changed the world metal was 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 a, a huge jump for them from where they were i think it was adam Hartmother. i think it was before that Does that sound about right? it was before well, there's Maybe, one but, there's one yeah. one song <laughs> on yeah, yeah. but but i think that like you're right like that i love metal but like yeah, me too but my wife doesn't really fuck with it because like it, it's almost like early fleetwood mac to to when they got to self-titled and rumors it's like mm-hmm. if, if you fuck with like then play on and even the early stuff like the peter green stuff and then to where they where they eventually got look you, it's undeniable that the song quality got so much better and they obviously yeah. had more had lineup changes and the pumpkins at that point had not right. but yeah, yeah man that's a, that, that's it that's it yeah those are coming yeah. still to this day are still happening um yeah. that's that's an interesting parallel actually i never really mm-hmm. thought about that because like you're I say this all the time and I said this in a previous episode I think or I thought it in a previous episode (laughs) where it's nobody ever like the Smashing Pumpkins is somebody's favorite band like there are a lot of people out there that this is their favorite band oh yeah I think it's a cop-out to say that Pink Floyd is your favorite band for some reason for the for the Beatles it's fine to me in my head but saying Zeppelin or or I am willing to hear an argument, but it feels like, you know, saying, Oh, I love Pink Floyd, but that's like Pink Floyd is their own genre. It's their yeah. own everything. Yeah. It's kind of but, not fair. <laughs> no, it's not fair. It's yeah. not fair. But um, so, so when it, so when it comes to the pumpkins, mm-hmm. 
so yeah, I never really thought about that jump between Gish. I didn't know that story about the upstream. So mm -hmm. that makes a lot more sense. So basically he's like, fuck this. I'm going back to make another record. And that's what he comes out with, which is insane. Yeah. yeah you know, and it's like, it's almost kind of the reverse of like what happened to like Springsteen or something, you know, he put out those first two albums that did nothing like right. did less than nothing. I think combined they sold like 20,000 or something like that. <laughs> and Clive Davis was like, we love you, Bruce, but you need a hit or we're going to drop your ass. Right. Um, so it was kind of like, you know, the inverse of that, you know, Bruce comes out with born to run from that experience. And then pumpkins do Siamese dream. But um, yeah, I mean, just the, you know, I, I probably spend way too much time thinking about it, but yeah, just, just the jump in like scope and songwriting quality and production. Cause it's exact same production team, you know, it's Butch Vig. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's that dry, like, I mean that complimentary, like, like Soundgarden did it too on bad motor finger with Terry date where it's just dry. Like yeah. there's no, there's no, it's like the air's choked out, but it, but it works. Like obviously mm -hmm. like in the future, like I think, I think the difference is like when you get to melancholy, the drum sound, like oh, Jimmy's yeah. drum sound on that record is just massive. Yeah. And and I think from then on outside of a door, it's mm -hmm. just, it's always just huge. And the snare mm -hmm. drum has this like ringy, Ring, yeah. Yeah, which is, which I love. It's like, he's hitting, he's hitting the rim shots and it's like, mm -hmm. I, I love that about his playing, but Siamese dream was just like a tight, dry, yeah like yeah it's it's it, it, it was a sign of the times i guess but it's a unique yeah. sounding it's a unique sounding record because it's this big bombastic like it's sometimes like a my bloody valentine jesus and mary chain level of like guitar just layers and layers yeah. and layers but then it sounds like a lo-fi indie record at times right well you know he said one of a couple of his big influences for that record were like boston and queen and oh, you know, interesting. If, if you listen, if you listen to Siamese Dream with like sort of the Boston thing in mind, like mm -hmm. it's it's really apparent because like everything sits in the frequencies where it sits. You know, there's not like like you can when you're listening to it on a headphones, like you can you can pick out the guitar, like you can hear the guitar, you can hear every note. If you decide to listen to the bass, you're gonna hear every note of the bass. Like everything is so clear. There's not a whole lot of you know intermingling. But yeah, when you get to well. So that was done in a little studio, you know, in outside of Atlanta. Um, mm. And then they did Melancholy. A good portion of Melancholy was in their practice space. Oh, know? wow. Yeah. They set up, um, uh, you know, a recording rig, had Flood in the other room. And a lot of it, like, I think, like, uh, some of the heavier stuff, like XYU and Tales of a Scorched Earth, um, maybe Fuck You, were all done in, those are live takes. You know, obviously Jesus there's there's Christ. stuff there's stuff overdubbed, um, and then they moved to uh, Chicago Recording Company and did you know like Tonight Tonight and you know that's another thing about about that record like if you listen to the songs that were singles mm -hmm. like all of those are produced completely different than the rest of the record. Like, yeah, it's, it's almost like he yeah. knew going into it what the singles were going to be. You know, well it, it's Billy is more, and again I don't want to speak for the man, right? Like mm -hmm. I bet him once and we talked about wrestling and watched alter bridge for some reason <laughs> his life is weird yeah. um but but i think i the how do i put this i think the way i think that he thinks the way that a fan think, like a hardcore fan mm -hmm. thinks like he's like yeah to your point he knows these are these are going to be the hopefully these are the hits yeah and 
he knows what the deep cuts are. He mm-hmm. and I think that's why. And I don't want to call it an editing problem, but I feel that like how many songs were written for the for the because the sessions between Airplane Flies High and Melancholy, oh, shit, yeah. it's got to be like eighty to a hundred songs because oh, when he. Like that, yeah. But th- that's what's out. Like so, in that in that period between Siamese Dream and before they got to Adore, mm-hmm. we got Siamese Dream, the Pisces record, Spirit, yeah. which is a great fucking record, even yeah. though it's all B sides. Yeah. Then and the best part about all this is that when they released that, when they did the the the, uh, the remastered uh, campaign, mm-hmm. all the record, all the records, so like Airplane, Pisces, like. They had B sides to the B sides. Oh yeah. So yeah. like, there's like 50 other songs. I'm like, yeah. this is fucking insane. And there's some really good quality shit in there. Like, yeah. I know I've said this to you multiple times. I like Airplane Flies High better than Melancholy. I can totally see that. Yeah. And I, it's 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 not as dynamic. But when you put that together as a body of work, those 42 songs, I think, yeah, they just speak to me more. But that just speaks to the, the like where the band, how high they were riding at that point, yeah. and how in tune to 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 what they were doing, right. they were. Whether there were issues in the band, or which of course there were, and but yeah. like you wouldn't if you didn't know the stories, you'd have no idea. No, no, and you know, yeah, it's crazy because he. So they did Lollapalooza 94, I guess it was. Mm-hmm. And then they were scheduled uh, to start, I guess, yeah, that finished in what, late summer or something. And then yep. I think it was March of 95, they were supposed to start the record. Mm-hmm. So he wrote the vast majority of that in like six months. You know? How? And How? it's like, and the first song he wrote for the record was 33. Like, you know? It's and crazy. it's like, yeah, it's. It, the level i mean you know the level of of uh productivity mm-hmm. is impressive on its own but the level of quality right you know and well, it's kind of the same thing I, I say about prince you know it's like and not to put billy and prince and i mean he probably wouldn't even want me to mention them in you know the same <laughs> sentence but like you know the thing about prince is like the ridiculous amount of stuff you put out and the ratio of good to bad you know like it's Ninety nine point you know eight percent fucking amazing. Well, that's and, it, right? It's like if you there's a lot of bands that just edit like what you get is what you get. Oh, we we put out an eleven track record. Well, we they're like where are the B sides? There's none. We did there's eleven songs, right. and and that's how a lot of bands operate. And mm-hmm. fair play, or they'll do like eleven songs and like a cover, or like right. you know what or an acoustic version, and then that's the sessions, yeah. not the Pumpkins, and it's. No. I think bands of that era just really went for it. Like Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Nirvana to some extent, Screaming mm-hmm. Trees, Oasis. Melvins. Yeah, like Oasis. Like these bands Oasis. had, I mean, I'm, I'm going through the Lenny Kravitz early catalog right now because I posted that that dick meme and uh, it got, <laughs> where his dick just like fell out of his pants oh, on the right, show. Right, right, right. And so like, I'm like, you know what? Let me go back to these records. Of course, that's the catalyst for me. And yeah, I'm, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm going through the B sides of, are you going to go my way? And it's like, there just isn't that level of quality. There's all mm-hmm. these songs that just didn't make the cut. And there's no disrespect to him. He's an amazing talent, but mm-hmm. the pumpkins just, it was like, uh, it, it's like a plethora of riches. Like it's insane. Yeah, it's Some crazy. of those songs are just, like God and and obviously oh, yeah. like my favorite airplane flies high like that riff yeah. is like the doomiest <laughs> yeah it's one of my favorite yeah. riffs like period ever yeah by any the, band you know he the, he um the solo that's on that 
is, mm-hmm. and I know this because I, I read it in a Guitar World interview in like 97 and I read it like 4,000 times. Um, but he, he had to go to a funeral. So he stopped by the studio to put like a placeholder solo in it and like played that solo and then went to a funeral. And then when he came back that's, to the studio, he was like, oh, I like that actually. Let's keep that. That's so, in, oh my God, yeah. that's amazing. Like that's yeah. not, that's, that solo is incredible too. It is, it is. But yeah, you know, that, the, what you're talking about, you know, um, all the different songs and stuff like that. That's one of the biggest things as a musician personally that I've gotten from, you know, Billy and the pumpkins and, and like somebody like Noel was like, you know, write what you feel and write a ton of it and then you know figure out what goes together as a record i mean that's what we did for this one i wrote i think 22 or something like that um which is nowhere near you know 60 but you know i wrote like 22 i think we demoed 15 or 16 Mm -hmm. and then 10 are on the record so like right it's an editing process yeah yeah and i think uh i think it's important because it it you know it shows it just shows you objectively as a band like you know what all you can do and some things you might not be great at you know like i've had several songs i've written where i'm like trying to go for something and it's usually the ones where i'm trying to do something right where i'm like oh this is this is garbage yeah, this is <laughs> it's like yeah. hey but, but at the same time like i love those stories of bands where like um like black sabbath for paranoid where they're like mm-hmm. Okay, uh, I can't remember. Look, I'm saying I love this story. I don't. I, I'm probably fucking the story up. But like the end, I know. I know the end result is that they wrote "Paranoid" the the song in like two and a half minutes, oh, and wow. we're like, that's probably their biggest outside of Iron Man. That's got to be their biggest hit. Yeah. And it's it's instantly recognizable. One of the greatest metal songs of all time. One of the greatest biggest metal hits of all time. Yep. It, it was an afterthought. And a lot of times that's what you like. You hear those stories of like, Oh yeah. The first single. Oh yeah. The producer just really liked a riff I was fucking around with or, mm-hmm. and, and it's with the pumpkins. It's, it's almost, it feel maybe that did happen. I don't know, but it, it feels different. Like it feels like they took chances that other bands not weren't willing to take because fuck Pearl jam got weird. And it was so great because they were trying to thin the herd. Right. It seemed that Billy who's someone that's so intent on, being a fan band like oh you Mm -hmm. want the hits no we're gonna melvin's you and we're gonna play like just b-sides or like just the songs i want to hear or like whatever but when when they when they went they went pop in a way that i think a lot of bands of their ilk didn't with like 33 1979 Mm -hmm. like that was a bold move like i didn't like that song at first like I, i think i was too stuck in Heavy you know, guitars, fuzzy. heavy guitars. Yeah. Now I go back to it. It's like that is an absolutely perfect tune. It's it's absolutely perfect. And I I kind of had a similar thing with with that song and like with a song like Wonderwall too. You know, to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, but totally. I love the story about 1979 because again, it it, it kind of mirrors a Springsteen or a Prince or something. Like he had sort of the the song ish, you know, um, and he was pushing for it. And Flood, the producer, was like, "This is terrible. Like we're not going to do it." <laughs> and billy was like no i like it it's good and flood was just like okay it was literally the last day of recording and he said you have 24 hours to knock this song in the shape where i say okay it's good and we'll go from there so billy like went home like came up with the main riff and the you know percussion track and like all the stuff and did a demo of and brought it in the next day and flood was like okay and they did it and it's their biggest hit i'm pretty sure that's their biggest hit um, I can't imagine that it's not like I think yeah. bullet for butterfly bullet with butterfly wings probably gets, I mean, 
that song is just there's certain songs that just last like yeah. you know like rage is killing in the name which by the yeah. way wasn't a hit when it came out because it's basically <laughs> an instrumental track with like four lyric four lines over it and right. now it's become their biggest song and i think that that's 1979 is one of those songs you could put in a time capsule, which is funny because obviously it came out like 20 <laughs> years later. But I mean, yeah. like that's a song that like you you hear that op- those opening, like the beat and you hear the, the riff come in. And it's like, if that doesn't take you back to a place in time, yeah, I don't know what's going to do it. Like that's, right. I, I can, I mean, I, th- I probably think a little differently as I'm sure you do as well in the average bear, but it's like, yeah. it, they're such a visual band. And I think a lot of that had yeah. to do with yeah, MTV. Absolutely. Like, when I think about certain videos like Green Day's Basket Case, like, you know, all the pops mm-hmm. of color or today or, mm-hmm. you know, when Cherub Rock was like there, they were teasing Cherub Rock that that was going to like and it was all like the almost like Beastie Boys esque kind of like trails in the woods. And when they were oh, showing yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was like, what the fuck is this? And like right. there was <laughs> so that's forever ingrained in my in my when I hear that, like the the opening like you know drum fill or the, like the, mm-hmm. the, the the marching drum you know, you know yeah. i i initially go my brain goes back to that sure. i feel bad like i sound like an old man but i feel <laughs> no, bad no, for no. kids that aren't gonna have that experience right. like that doesn't and i'm sure the people that are 10 20 years older than us are like we didn't have to look at it it was just your own interpretation but it's like yeah. i'm stoked on our on the way that oh, it, yeah. it was it was like an auditory experience like you had the visual the music the magazine like it was it was oh, just yeah, yeah, yeah. where you weren't overloaded right well the thing the thing that i one of the big things i love about the pumpkins um is like sort of the and the, this digs deep into my nerd brain but like um the world building it's like you you know they're not like a concept band or anything really um i mean in a way they are but you know it's like you hear and I don't know, I don't think it's just a nostalgic thing because I feel like I felt this back then, but it's like, you right. know, Siamese Dream puts you in a place. Oh, yeah. Melancholy puts you in a place. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, and, it, it, you know, not to get lame about it, but like it takes you, it takes you to different places, but it's like it puts you in their world, you know? Oh, yeah. And, I mean, and I, for, you know, stuff sure. like stuff on Melancholy, like Cupid Deloc, I think is just as powerful as xyu or something totally or or lily or you know we only come out at night oh um, that's a great fucking song man yeah and it's like you know so good. it's 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 obvious that the white album was a huge thing to him mm-hmm. um but you know the coming from a total beatles nerd like i can kind of see the parallels here and there but like he in- twisted it and interpreted it in his own way um, and that to me is kind of like the biggest thing that I've taken from from the pumpkins and from Billy. It's like he was never interested in being a carbon copy of anything or no. doing anything other than how he wanted to do it. Like, and it, you know, saying it's it's okay to be on the outside. So like, I felt like that way as a person, but like, that's the biggest lesson I've ever taken from him slash them in a musical sense is like, I mean, you know, you know, our stuff well enough to know that like, yeah, I'm not super interested in being a part of any one thing. And, you know, a lot of it, you know, comes from, you know, reading interviews with him and, and just kind of knowing that, you know, knowing that there's somebody else out there that feels that way, who is successful, Mm -hmm. I guess is the best way to put it. 
you know? Yeah. It's like, you got an inside guy. Like you got somebody that yeah. understands like you, you have somebody that understands your viewpoint. And I think that's, it was a bull. Everything they've done feels like a bull move. It feels yeah. like putting out a double album in 95 at the height <laughs> yeah. of, of alternative music and culture and right before the drop off in 96, but right. it's like they were, they could have done anything and putting out. And I mean this in a, in a positive way. This is a bloated record as far as quantity of material, mm -hmm. like, these are long sides of records. Like it was oh, like, yeah. it was like three cassettes. Like it was mm -hmm. like a big fucking thing. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's their third. That's technically their third, third record. Out, yeah. Right. So that's, yeah. and then to go and make a left turn, like they did after that with the door, it's yeah. just, I mean, they, they, it's wild. It's wild what they got away with. And, and, and I don't oh, think, yeah. I think that they went away at the right time and that's what you want to call it or mm -hmm. imploded or whatever the fuck, because, it feels to me that everybody like when when like even like and I know it's a record that you don't enjoy. I enjoy it. I know what it is. I enjoy it. But a record like Zeitgeist, where it's like, you know, it's there was an element of like, oh my god, it's back. He's back. Yeah. It's like the, it always felt like a comeback in a way because it just felt like it was constructed that way. Like he yeah. would they would go and make a door, which is so amazing but the influences are so far reaching in a different direction than anything they'd ever done right. and then to come back with like machina oh, which yeah. was a I big machine i i do too yeah. i mean there's like that's a big fucking rock record oh dude it is and you know it was uh i i do actually like zeitgeist mm. <laughs> just as a short aside wait i um, but I'm, though, yeah. i must have talked to somebody else that fucking hated it and i'm like i'm like yeah but like no Zwan it's is so good <laughs> how do you it's not the, like it's the one yeah no it's the one i I've, I've listened to probably least i guess okay um but i like i mean the songs are good it's the you know it's what everybody says it's the production the production kind of gets me yeah um just because you know pumpkin's production is normally so intertwined with uh the the music and the material and i just felt like that was sort of um i don't know what the word is like not not ill-fitting production exactly but just like it did, it just didn't breathe enough no as a pumpkins record for me but um no what you're saying about a door like yeah like to well it's interesting because in a way it was like full circle mm -hmm. because you know when they first started out it was billy james and darcy and a drum machine and then they got Jimmy. So then when Jimmy left, you know, it's them in a drum machine essentially for a door. Um, and, you know, Matt Walker played on a couple songs and uh, Matt Cameron played a couple. I always uh, forget that. God, Matt did so much yeah. weird shit in that era. Like played like on an Our Lady Peace record, <laughs> like played a song with like the Nickelback guys, like, or the yeah. Saliva guy. Like, I don't know. The guy's he, a fucking legend. He played on that record. Uh, I could be wrong, but I think so. But um, let's let's just say so. Let's make it. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. um, somebody will correct me somehow. I'm sure. Yeah, it's fine. Um, but you know, Adore to me is like it's almost more raw than melancholy mm -hmm. in a way um, because it doesn't have the loud guitars. Like he's not kind of hiding behind the power of it. You know, everything's kind of right. laid bare. Um, and it it's an album that I've definitely appreciated more as time has gone on. Yeah. Same. Um, you know, for a long time, it was really hard for me to like kind of get into the electronic thing um, or not. And, and I wouldn't necessarily call that an electronic album. It's, 
I mean, comparatively speaking. Yeah, it's, you know, it's definitely different. And at the time, you know, at the time it came out, I had sort of, because I was, what, 98? Um, Mm -hmm. Yep. I was, you know, I was all bad religion all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. I mean, I was was still in, I was a sophomore in high school in 98, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, because I was a senior. Yeah. Yeah. So then I didn't. I didn't really kind of come back into the fold until Machina. And it wasn't because I wasn't like, Oh, I don't like Adora because it doesn't sound like the pumpkins. It was just like, Oh, I'm listening to this stuff now. Well, yeah, um, it, it spoke to me too. I think I did the same thing. It's like, I loved I, oh, that yeah. song is just insanely good. And yeah. then when, when, when Machina came out, I remember I bought it. And uh, cause I like, I think uh, the, I don't know. I just bought it. I don't even remember yeah. why I bought it. I think I was working in a record <laughs> store. I was like, cool. I get this for like seven bucks or something. And, yeah. um, and I remember hearing heavy metal machine <laughs> and being like, that was the first time that was like, okay, this guy's gotten heavy before, but now it felt like he was writing a song, like, like, a, like an homage to, to what came before. him. I didn't even, yeah. I didn't know what it was about. I didn't care. It just felt yeah. like, okay, cool. The pumpkins are back. And that was my 20 year old brain. Yeah. being like cool they're heavy again right and you know that i i love i really do love that record dearly um there's definitely production things on it that i don't love and my i'm yeah i ended up befriending um this guy named howard willing i, mm. I, I, I would call him a buddy he, he would probably give me a hard time for calling him a buddy but <laughs> uh he, he's he's just that kind of dude he's a, he's a really good guy but uh he engineered well he engineered a door as well um, oh but he engineered nice. Machina and he engineered uh, their newest record slash, I think co-produced. I'm not sure. He's worked with them a bunch, but I do want um, to talk about that in a second, actually. The oh yeah, record. for sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I always tried to, cause we, we, we met um, because uh, I have another friend who worked for Billy for a while and we we're just talking about record production and stuff. And he was like, you should talk to Howard. So we just talked about music and stuff. And I tried not to like pump him for too much pumpkins information. I, <laughs> right, right. We would, this, I met him like four or five years ago. And we'd probably still be sitting at that Starbucks right now if I had decided <laughs> to ask him everything I wanted to. But uh, he said, because I was, I, you know, I asked him, I was like, so Machina is just like wacky, you know, like it doesn't sound like any other record. And he was like, honestly, like the basic tracks were mostly done in their rehearsal space at the time, which was essentially a warehouse. Okay. And and you can hear it if you listen on headphones, like the drum sound is just giant room. And yeah. He was like, they played a lot of it live with a full PA blast. Wow. Like it wow. was just so loud. And uh one of my favorite pumpkin songs ever is Stand Inside Your Love. Oh, it's that that, that might have been what got me to buy the record because that was yeah. the, that was the single. It's it's such a spectacular song, and he wrote it the morning they recorded it fuck man like yeah i know <laughs> it's just it almost feels like i mean you more than me because i'm not a professional musician <laughs> i mean I, I know i know how to play but it's like that's got to be so frustrating it's like it's 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 <laughs> one of those things where it's like it's extremely inspiring and fucking infuriating right totally because totally get it because it's like okay like he, he's just a dude you know he just happened to, he woke up and he's he's got these tools in his brain and he's able to do this right and it's inspiring because you're like, I'm a guy, I have some tools in my brain, like, you know, but then, then it's like, I'm never going to just wake up and write stand inside your love. Like, I'm just, I mean, not, that's just, you know? it's, 
it's crazy to, to to think about. First of all, it's the twenty the, on the day of this recording. It's the twenty first birthday of that record today, oh, right. by by chance. Yeah. Um, so my feed is just blowing up with like pictures of like you know tapes from yeah. Thailand and you know like, but but that it was crazy to put out a record like that at that time. That was the height of like the boy band thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Christina Aguilera, Britney. That it, it was really like putting out a. A, a rock record that mm. wasn't new metal that wasn't you know i mean i mean pantera put out a record like around the same time that was like you know it, it just it these bands were carrying the torch for their respective lanes yeah without giving a fuck and that yeah. that was it's harder than it, it it's hard because now now you could just drop a couple songs people don't they're not streaming them as much you have the real lifetime data you're like okay cool People don't like this this lane I've chosen. I'm gonna go. You can you can be whoever you want to be now. You have a lot more control. Where back then, I mean, you 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 put out a record like that at this time, it, you might there was there were so very few lanes like the 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 metal magazines and the, and the rock magazines were picking up on Limp Bizkit and Corn and Incubus mm-hmm. and that's fine, but there was no room for the Pumpkins at this time, and they still just persisted. And it was supposed to, and it's funny that today is the 20th anniversary of Machina because I think yesterday was the 20th anniversary of uh, Standing on the Shoulders of Giants or Standing on the Shoulder of Giants. Ooh, I missed that. Um, that's my that's my record too. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh well. <laughs> but you know, Machina was supposed to be a double record. Right. He, I, made, he made it as a double record and delivered it to Virgin, and they were just like, "No, nah, we're not going to do that." I have the second disc on like a, a CDR, like from Machina Two. It sounds oh, wow. like the the quality is so piss poor, yeah, that you can barely hear what you're listening to. Yeah, well, he he had 25 vinyl copies made, and just gave oh, them friends, and just gave them to people, and that was it. So somebody ripped it off of that, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, that, wow. Because that's what he said. He told his friends. He was like, just just put it on the internet. You know, that's amazing, dude. I um, like I love. They're that in the middle now. Yeah, well, they're in the middle. Of, well, I guess it's done now, but they just uh, remixed both Machinas and remastered yep. in the original way like he wanted the double album to be. That's fucking so, great, man. Yeah, I'm totally stoked about it. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm way stoked about it. But Well, that, that, that's that's so like, okay, so before I, I really want to talk about the later era too because it does <laughs> get, it, it, there's a lot of, it gets a lot of shit. Like, let's just be real. Yeah. It does. And like yeah. some of this stuff isn't on like tier garden isn't on streaming services. And some of that we, stuff is amazing. Some of that stuff is great. But I yeah. think what I, what I want to ask you is a question. I love af- asking people because it's tough. It's like, okay, so what's the best album? What's your favorite album? Right. Like how, like, cause they don't hmm. normally meet. No, 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 no. I, so, okay. I think the best album um is Siamese dream mm-hmm. because i think you know like i said before it's the idealized version of the band it's it's the album where if it was if if i was sitting with a uh, a non-pumpkins fan mm-hmm. not not somebody who didn't like them but somebody who didn't know their work or like sure very aware from them that's the album i would play because it gets you in, in half a second 100 um, percent my favorite album uh, is Melancholy mm. um, by far. It's probably uh, aside from, you know, the, the single most influential album in my life. Wait, say, say that I'm going to cut that out. You, you, you froze for a minute. So say, oh, sure. uh, no, it's, it's all good, man. 
it's about to storm like real bad here <laughs> oh shit all right well if i lose yeah. you then we'll, we'll we'll redo it later um but no it, melancholy is definitely my favorite because it's uh it's probably the most influential record on me personally mm-hmm. um that's not a beatles record <laughs> oh wow um, okay well that, those those are big words man yeah it's well i have like i guess four five records that i kind of hold in that same uh melancholy so um darkness on the edge of town and the wall yeah that's good company yeah yeah so those are but those are all super influential but melancholy just the time i got it actually i don't even i didn't even mention this but i bought the cassette version of melancholy the day of my grandmother's funeral (laughs) um oh man she passed away and i had gotten a card with some money in it somebody had given it to me at the funeral so i was like hey dad i want to go by kmart and get some music on the way home wow because uh, i had been wanting that record yeah yeah. <laughs> so i so i bought it and like that was kind of the context i got it under um but that's to say i mean like there's stuff in all the records that i find to love you know well yeah it's just i think it's the it's the different eras it's like um that they are they became a different band and obviously different members and i think when that that initial you know, there, there was the, you know, Zwan happened and then, mm-hmm. which I, who I, I love so much. And then, and then Zeitgeist. And then it felt like Tear Garden on became something, that whole era was something entirely different. Like it's not, like I said, not on streaming services. It yeah. was, I think it was in super, it was in limited quantities. I remember I was living in Seattle and seeing like the box set on the counter of being like, this seems like, untested like he's i felt like burned i think a little bit by some of the material that had come right before it and i and i really wanted to to get into it and i eventually heard the songs and it was like wow there's some really great shit in here yeah yeah song for his son uh, mm-hmm. is incredible i think it's one of billy's best guitar solos yeah ever. yeah um and i think oceania is an incredible album dude it's so good like it's really really good and it's far underrated um and it's you know it's probably the most old pumpkins esque out of all of the post reformation stuff, but that's not Great. necessarily why I like it that much, or like it as much as I do. Um, I just think you know he hit he really hit a stride there. Um, it and, feels uh, my, yeah. No, no. So, I was saying, my my friend my friend Ryan was one of the engineers on it. Um, oh, was, nice. It was just it was a you know it was just a good time all around. It's just good songwriting. It's compact. It's yeah. brief. Like you, it leaves you wanting to kind of, it, it's a repeat listener for sure. Yeah. And I think, yeah. you know, and I think of course on the, on the, on the heels of that, he puts out another double album, <laughs> which, right. which it's like, I, I, you know, you and I were talking about this, I think week by week as he's trying, like, Hey, do you hear the new tracks? Cause he was dropping <laughs> them in a very yeah. unique way where it's 20 songs. And I think, there was 12 of them out by the time the record came out. So I, or, yeah, or 10 it, or 12, 10 or 12. It was something like incredible. So you're hearing it in these cut up pieces and it didn't, there's a couple of songs that I liked and, and, and a few that I, I didn't, I think within the context of listening to it as a body of work, mm-hmm. it does work. It's a brief, oh, yeah. it's a quick double album of that is a thing. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah I, I just, I think I just wanted a little more. I think I always want, aggression to balance the pumpkins because they're so good at it and i didn't get there's only like what one riffy song on the whole body of work Mm -hmm. and yeah i i I like it um it it tickles my sort of uh almost my peter gabriel uh itch in a Mm -hmm. way um 
because it is it is a synthian atmospheric and, and stuff i mean i i always want more guitars but i'm not gonna like you know judge a record based on that and you know pumpkins fans you know there's there's a lot of bands that have fandoms that are like i don't even know what the word i, I don't want to use the word toxic because that's a little it's a little heavy to use but like you know they just get all up in arms when they when the band puts out a record that's anything different than what they think it should be oh yeah and i think pumpkins fans are one of the worst about that and you know like you know they're on the new record like katie cole and sarah swan are doing all the backups and stuff like i love it you know everybody i've read a lot of comments are like oh they shouldn't have been on every song and they're too much and yada 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 and it's like that was billy's thing for this record and they executed it pretty damn flawlessly you know katie cole uh arranged all those vocals oh i didn't know that yeah that was her um and it's great yeah no look it's cool man it's like there's there's certain aspects like to go back to the pink floyd thing where it's like Mm -hmm. my favorite part of watching live floyd because you can't go but i'll even see even (laughs) seeing gilmore live is to is the um is the backup vocals it's like just yeah. watching what they bring to the table, especially when, when they go back and do the dark side stuff. It's or like shine mm. or like shine on. It's it's fucking mm. insane. I yeah. love that that the pumpkins are doing that, and there was an element of that because look at this point, where does he go? You right. can't exactly. like you know. It's like he's they have that that groove that they kind of dare I say invented on Gish, where mm. and, and they did a lot of it on um on siamese dream and a little less of it on on um a melancholy mm-hmm. and, and then it basically other than like you know a verse here or there on machina went away they have yeah. this like like i think you know it's like the, it's almost like it feels like an open e and like jimmy's just like it's a this this driving feel they have that no other band has done it just right. feels that way anyway and yeah. what are you gonna do go back to that again like you you, you right. can't you can't go back yeah that, and you know that's the thing like when have they ever made two records that sounded alike? You know? They haven't. They definitely and, have not. And that's what, you know, I, there's no, there's no one correct way to be a fan, obviously. But like, for me, it's the whole body of work that's important to me. Yeah. Not, not just the pieces that I love. Because it's like, how do I know how much I love this if I don't contrast it to something that maybe I don't like as much? You know? yeah, right. Well, well, also like we're coming at it from a similar way. I think that we both started obviously after the band had been a thing already, but mm-hmm. imagine hopping into the fandom now or yeah. like, um, <laughs> or, or, or like, or, you know, you know, uh, my friend Maddie, she didn't grow up in, in the U S so mm. her first taste of the pumpkins was tear garden and then Oceana, like as far as new music from them. Mm-hmm. So she has a different feeling about those records than I think most, fa- even fans like us that are like, no, that's, that's the best later era record or fuck mm. this. This is so underrated or whatever. She's like, no, that holds up to, to the early shit because right. that's where she, that, that was her discovery. That was her, that was her, her, her you know, her point into, into fandom. So it's like, that does speak to the quality of it. And that probably fans like us are looking at the band through a different lens. Cause we have a, yeah you know it, it's like chasing the dragon like i'm never gonna get it i'm never like like my favorite pumpkin song is probably like, like yes i love airplane flies high mm-hmm. I, I but when you're talking about like straight up like pumpkin songs that are not b-sides it's quiet that song is just fucking yeah. phenomenal 
I'm never going to get that again. So I've put right. that in a box. Yeah, now, exactly. It's it just, and that's not a knock at the band at all. Like I, I would be mad if they made another song that sounded like that. Exactly. So yeah, it's just, it's all perspective. I think. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the more recent records, like the one they did with Rick Rubin, um, I like, I actually like the new record better personally. Mm. Um, even though that one is more like guitar-y, um, there's some really good stuff on it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think, it, I think it was rushed and rushed. Sorry. Not there was solid stuff on it. Even monuments, you know, like Tommy Lee yeah. playing drums. <laughs> um, right, right, right. God, I forgot yeah, about that. A, a very odd aside. And I think, you know, a lot of people like to kind of point to things that Billy has said in the press and, you know, he's, he comes across as like kind of a curmudgeon, you know, for lack of a better term, but you know, he, and he's even said it himself, like, you know, he, it's, it's his role. You know what I mean? Like they, they kind of cast him, you know, the press right. kind of cast him in that role of the heel. If you want to use, you know, wrestling terms. Um, I do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that's just kind of, you know, who he's played and, you know, I've, I've, Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I, I hope I don't get him in trouble for this, but like my buddy that worked for him, he was like, when you're just hanging out, he's the coolest dude. Like he's just, he's chill. He's cool. He's fun to be around. And then as soon as like work starts, he's Billy. Like, you know. Well, that, right. Like that, that's, it's, it's funny because that night that my buddy Darius and I ended up, we were with Doug, we were Doug, oh, nice. King's X. And, it, but it was so weird because we're standing sides. We're there to see to Nonpoint, who I grew up with, you know, mm-hmm. friends, you know, it's like fa- South Florida family, and they're opening up for Alter Bridge, the Will Turn, which is down the street from my house. And we're side stage, and like some of the Steel Panther guys are there, and Billy Corgan's there, and I'm, I, you just when you <laughs> see him, it's still like, wait, because like he just stands yeah. out. Like there's certain people just have a presence, a way about them, and he just without even probably trying, he's just standing there watching Alter Bridge. Like, that's not something that you think right. you're going to see. It doesn't even, I, I don't even know why, no disrespect, but I don't really like Alter Bridge. Why am I there? And, um, but I remember that like, we just got into it in a conversation about like, we talked a little bit of wrestling. We, we talked about, you know, just whatever. And he couldn't have been nicer. And I don't remember how it came about. I want to blame Doug for this, <laughs> but they're like, let's take some photos. And it's like, this is not happening like what this is so strange because all the things i know about him is like he's like the villain and people that i know i'm sure not everybody's a great experience but that goes for anybody and but i've heard you know same with like mike Patton. i've heard more bad than good and then you meet the person and you're like okay i'm meeting you in a Mm non-fan context we're just talking as two humans he was crazy nice like and like unexpectedly kind and that's you know that went a long way oh, with yeah. me because like you never want to meet you never want to meet no, a dick yeah and sadly I've, I've never gotten to meet billy um yeah i mean we have like a few you know like mutual like actual friends um right and it's you know it's kind of hard because like when i was younger it's like you know it's like the beetle the beetles are mythical they, they don't actually exist you know what i mean like, yeah as people like <laughs> right, i know right, i know right. paul mccartney is somewhere i get i guess he's in new york you know like uh maybe he's back in england i don't know but like i know he exists as a person right but the beatles are mm-hmm. they're mount olympus they're gods you know yeah um, absolutely and you know for a long time i kind of i felt that way about noel and, and billy and like of course you know peter gabriel and like as i've sort of gotten older and you know gotten more into being a musician and a songwriter and all that it's like 
the process is it's the same thing obviously with different results mm-hmm. and while i still sort of hold i hold the ideals of them in that sort of mythical realm it's like they are just people you know and i would really yeah i except, mean except most probably yeah. not like robert fripp i think he's some sort of demon wizard from another dimension <laughs> but um, sure you know yeah I, I mean i would love to meet billy just simply to say like thank you you know what i mean like just thanks <laughs> right like, you know you made kind of a huge impact um but yeah i mean uh, you know the the stories in the press and like i mean he said you know everybody said things about each other especially back in the 90s i mean he said terrible things about noel i'm he sure was... and noel said terrible things about him i'm sure and they toured together two years ago you know right well well that's the thing too that it, it you know the press always blows things out of proportion and it was cutthroat back back then because everyone's vying for this like these cup, couple of coveted yeah. spots and you know it's it's interesting it's clickbait yeah. it's it, it's it's interesting but also it's like he like i was saying before he's one of the few eddie vetter rides that line as well i think but he's one of the few where he's like he's the fan in the band that he just happens to be in. It's the right. best way I could put it. No, I know no, it's confusing me. where it's like, I don't feel like playing the yeah. fucking hits tonight. I, like, he, like how many times, like we would always get on Pearl Jam. Cause like, why are you playing even flow? I've been to 40 <laughs> something. I've been to 37 shows, something like that. It, it's yeah. a ton of shows and that's nothing in the Pearl Jam fandom, but it's like, why have I seen even flow every show except for like right. two of them and, it, and or three of them. And it's like, I got an explanation. They fucking love it. They love seeing Mike McCready yeah. go off and play guitar solo. So it's yeah, like, yeah. okay, fair. Pumpkins are that to like the extreme yeah. degree. And I love that where it's like, you just, you might not get disarm mm-hmm. and that's okay. Yeah. You might get some random series of, of like outtakes or deep cuts that you've never heard or like, Hey, I, that like, if I was able to go and see them play mayonnaise, I'd take that over you know a cherub mm-hmm. rock any day yeah. oh, did did you get to see a show on the shiny tour did you i oh, went right. i did it was top five weirdest shows of my life and i don't mean mm-hmm. that as an insult like it was just it was crazy because they did three nights at the oh, forum and my agent buddy knew they didn't even sell out one right. night so it was so yeah it was and i can tell you that it was so not sold out because the forum is obscenely cold when it's yeah. not packed and I got so cold that I had to go buy a hoodie <laughs> and, and like mid show, I'm like, I got to get out of here. I'm dying. I, I, most comfortable hoodie I've ever bought nice. at a show ever, but the show yeah. was amazing. Like it was so like they opened mm-hmm. up with disarm and it was like, it felt like a different set. And then the yeah. show started and then they played drown. So they go from just the, 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 the re, it felt like that mm-hmm. was a pre-show and then, the real show opened with like all eight plus minutes yeah. of drown. And that's, and then like Mark oh, yeah, McGrath being like this, yeah. ra- like, I'm like, I thought that I was <laughs> tripping my balls off and I, and I, I could not, I could not piece together yeah. what I was no, seeing. It, it was an incredible show. I think, I don't know. I've seen him five times. Um, I saw him on mm. the melancholy tour, um, which was oh, extremely wow. like, uh, you know, mind blowing, uh, I remember yeah. very vividly the the beginning, like garbage opened and they were great. Um, That's awesome. And 
God, Butch, Butch is getting his yeah, fucking yeah. points in, isn't he? <laughs> I, I would I love, love it. Hear that conversation, like, hey, you're, you're taking us on tour, right? Like, um, yeah, he's like, this is part of these, these are my points yeah, exactly. on the contract. Uh, and it was, you know, it was absolutely sold out. It was a, a memorial auditorium, yeah, in Nashville. And I had only lived here maybe four months or something like that. But you know how the house lights are on and everything. And like the second the house lights went off, the place just went fucking insane like insane and pitch black not a single light they start playing the melancholy you know the piano opening thing over the pa yep um and that tour they had this like big cone behind them like of lights it was really weird Mm -hmm. this big like pyramid okay um and i'll I'll, it's it's just it's burned into my brain and it's been 20 you know six years or whatever almost uh they just had like one light uh on the drum kit unfortunately this was after jimmy had already left so it was matt walker but it was still a great show but there was one right. light on the drum riser uh and you just saw like four shadows walk on stage and everybody went even more bananas and then they opened with uh where boys fear to tread and it was just like Jesus. the heaviest like loudest craziest thing um God, I miss that so yeah. much. I miss the curtain drop. I miss like the lights going down and everybody losing oh, yeah. their shit. Ah, we're almost know, we're almost out of this, man. Dude, the la- the last show I saw was King Crimson and the Ryman. Like, yeah. Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, that's pretty yeah, special. And the night before I'd seen Bad Religion, so I was like, <laughs> damn, it's like you went out with yeah, a know, bang. Like, that's wow, man. Yeah. Wow. But uh, fuck. Well, so yeah. No, sorry, no, no, I was just gonna say I, you know, I saw that show. And then I saw I just like uh, Ascend Amphitheater here, like the shed or whatever. And that was good. Mm-hmm. Um, that was when Jimmy had come back. Uh, and then I saw yeah. the In Plain Song tour at the Ryman, which was incredible. It was really chill. Oh, at the, at the, at yeah. the Ryman. Dude, God it was, damn. It was amazing. Like that that show was just incredible. And it, you know, it wasn't any of the heavy stuff. Well, it was some of the heavy songs, but like chill versions of them. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And like for, for people that don't know, like seeing a show at the Ascend, especially if you're not like, I remember one night I was in Nashville and Depeche Mode was playing the Ascend. So it's an outdoor shed. It basically, it's a rarity because sheds usually are on the outskirts of town, 45 minutes outside of town. That's how I grew up anyway. And Ascend is straight up (laughs) in the middle of fucking Nashville. So like, I remember being somewhere in East across the river and you could hear, enjoy the silence (laughs) playing like clear as fucking day because of the way that like it's all projecting towards outwards towards yeah yeah. it was so so that's what a cool experience imagine just walking around like you're right there by like the the johnny cash (laughs) museum and and fucking you're hearing the pumpkins like bright and as clear as day that's really cool yeah it was great i actually went by myself (laughs) um i went by Mm. myself actually i've seen them three times by myself uh and then the yeah, then the plane song at, at the Ryman was killer. Then the shiny tour was great. Um, and then I actually drove mm-hmm. down to Atlanta by myself to see the Noel Gallagher Pumpkins tour because, like, I mean, I had to, you know. You have to. I mean, the, the, yeah. those are your two. Like, I mean, that's who. You, like, you, you, we were, you were gonna talk Oasis, and we didn't yeah. talk Pumpkins. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, um, it was, Man. it was, it was How cool. Cr- it was. I expected like a hostile audience for Noel, to be honest. Um, yeah, but it was, it was great. They were super supportive. I even heard guys, you know, beside me being like, "Oh yeah, like, you know, he's got a new record out and stuff." And I'm like, "What? Like, you know, you're you're you you've got, you know, cargo shorts and Oakleys on. Like, how do you like what? Right. Not not to judge, but 
you know, it just didn't. It, no, it was, no. The, yeah. There's the, it was cool, though. It was. It's the it's a contingent yeah. for sure. And, you know, Noel, <laughs> Noel is hilarious anyway. But like every time I've seen him play, I, see, I think I've seen him five times at this point. Before Wonderwall, he's like, you know what I'm going to play? I know. And you know that this is the only reason I'm allowed to tour your country still. <laughs> and he played. So, but yeah, that was when I saw cool show. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So, um, yeah. So, so like, so I've been doing this one, two punch now to end the show. And I, and I, I, and originally I was doing this like, Hey, give me your sexy song. So I want you to give me your sexy song, but then mm. I want you to give me your funeral song. Cause I think that's a nice mm. way to cap it all off. <laughs> they could, they could be the same song. Uh, that'd be weird. <laughs> um, yeah, it would be super yeah. weird. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, sexy song. Uh, the contrarian to me wants to say like uh, "Tales of a Scorched Earth" or something like that. Mm. <laughs> um, probably. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. Probably. Oh man. Uh, sexy song. That's a tough one. But I'm trying <laughs> to think I'm, of like I'm just songs that grew, probably Dross from Machina Two. It's kind of a slower, heavier oh, I don't... riff. I don't remember that. It's been years since I've listened to either Machine that one or like stand inside your love. I mean, that yeah, is beautiful. Cool. Yeah. Uh, she... And the funeral song, huh. probably either 33 or blank page, probably blank page. Ooh, blank yeah. page. Nice. Yeah. I'd say blank page. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah, man. That's awesome. I mean, it's like there's, I mean, you could go either way. Like, do you want to go out like a wrestler's entrance? Do you want to yeah. go out like, you know, but I, but I, I, I thought about this years ago, starting to make like funeral playlists and it's like, it, it's interesting. Cause it's like, do you want to torture yeah. your family or is this something that you're really thinking about thematically? And they, right. they both work. I'm just, <laughs> yeah. <you know. laughs> but hey, dude, this has been For awesome. Sure. I'm so stoked. We got to I'll do this too. finally. Uh, so um, I'll tag the band, cool. everything. Uh, go listen, go listen to sound and shape, follow them on all socials at sound and shape Ryan. This yeah, has man. been awesome. Take Thank care. you, brother.